Some of us need to drink deeply of His presence. Let's not be in a rush. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. is heaven to me oh Jesus oh Jesus your presence is heaven oh Jesus oh Jesus oh Jesus your presence is heaven to me, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Your presence is heaven to me. Your presence is heaven to me. find that we talk a lot about Jesus here. And uh, it's because we really, really, really believe He's not just a great teacher that lived a bunch of years ago, taught some good things, left a legacy. But we really believe He is alive. He rose again. And he's not just a teacher. He is Lord and King and Master. And we have chosen to serve him every day. We take our cues from him. We receive our strength from him. And if you don't know that Jesus, if you only know the teacher Jesus, I want to invite you to just talk to him. Even if you're not sure he's really, he really exists or is really alive, just talk to him and say, Jesus, if you're there, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Let me know who you are. And I guarantee you that if your heart is open, he will do that. Because he loves that prayer. He loves that invitation. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated this morning. Wow. Rich sense of his presence with us. Don't uh, just just hold on to that. Don't 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 believe the lie that he, his presence evaporated when the music stopped. Okay, that's that's baloney. Um, you might have wondered who this lovely lady was on the keyboard. Um, 
That's my daughter, our eldest daughter, Carrie Ann, and her and her husband, Liam, are here with us visiting for a couple weeks. And uh, I've asked Carrie Ann, just before we uh, dive into the message for this morning, um, Carrie Ann works for uh, what is now called Global Mission, um, Mission Global, thank you. Mission Global, used to be called International Missions, Pentecostal Assemblies, International Missions, but they've just rebranded, renamed themselves Mission Global. Um, and, uh, and so she works for our missions organization and uh, wanted her to take just uh, five-ish minutes and, uh, and share with you a bit of what she does. So Carrie Ann, come on up. Let's, uh, let's give her another welcome. Yahoo. Thanks. Um, I am my mother's daughter. Um, so I have an iPad here, so I stay to five minutes. If you're watching, Mom, I'm sorry. I love you. It's a gift. Um, but good morning, everyone. Um, so I wanted to talk, um, like Pastor Andrew mentioned, International Missions, now Mission Global, PAOC. Um, I get the privilege and honor of working with an incredible team there um, on several different things, but I uh, invited just to share a little bit about what does that look like, because you guys are actually get to be a part of a much larger organization across Canada. Um, sometimes we forget that when we're, you know, growing our own community things, which is incredible, but I want to give you a little window into what you guys are actually a part of um, across Canada, but then actually taking that and impacting the world. Um, so what does that look like and what are we actually doing right now? What are we working towards? Um, but I have five minutes, so I'm going to like cram a bunch in really quick here. So um, a couple, two of the priorities of Mission Global right now um, are two things. We are working to impact uh, those that are uh, most vulnerable um, and those that are least reached. So those are the two, um, two focuses, two goals, but where those intersect is also where we are putting most of our energy and effort. Um, so when I started working for um, previously International Missions, now Mission Global, um, I didn't realize, I just thought unreached meant like unsaved or didn't know who Jesus was or different things like that. But really understanding that least reached is actually understanding the demographics of what that means. And there's actually, this blew my mind, there's 7,400 people groups in the world today that do not have access to the gospel, whether that's it's not in their language, whether that's it's not, nobody's unpacked, the Bible exists maybe, but there's no community there, whatever that looks like, there's no access to the gospel. So, which is blows my mind, like in the 21st century, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of different pieces, a lot more work to do. There's good things have happened, a lot more work to do. Um, and that actually accounts for 42% of the world, <laughs> which is wild. Um, so what that looks like is, is actually 3.3 billion people that do not have access to the gospel. Um, and so this is really a justice issue that we work to solve through many different facets of um, having people go into these communities. Um, and there's so many great organizations doing Bible translation, et cetera, but that's where we're um, focusing our energy and efforts into that space. And so um, with this being our strategic focus, um, it can be difficult, if you can imagine, if you've watched the news sometime in the last couple decades, you can imagine what I'm explaining. Middle East, North Africa, Southeast Asia, that 
1040 section of the world is where most of those um, people groups are. And what that actually looks like is most of those countries, you can't, uh, it's illegal to have a church. Um, a pastor couldn't go to and s come in with his visa of I'm going to be a pastor. That doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't fly. Um, and so there's many other ways that we're able to actually go into these communities and build relationship first. Um, that's a huge priority where it's building relationship. And what does that look like to actually solve this justice issue of having access to the gospel in their language? Um, and so what that can look like is many different things. And so where I spend most of my time, little plug, shout out to my team, um, is a uh, global mission uh, that is called Global Works. So that's underneath the umbrella of Mission Global. And what we do is we help people that are in business or workplaces. So I can assume that is most of you, if you have a roof over your head and food in your belly. <laughs> um, and what we do is we help people that are looking to take their profession globally. So if you are a doctor, if you are a nurse, if you are a teacher, if you are a lawyer, if you are an engineer, if you are any tradesperson, you're wanting to take that globally, you actually have an opportunity that someone like Pastor Andrew wouldn't necessarily have to be able to take their, you could be retrained if you wanted to, you got it, your potential, it's all good. But um, taking that opportunity to actually take your skill and the gifts that God's given you, the gift of work, and actually take that into a place um, to just be who you are and shine your light. Um, there's no hidden agenda. It's just being who you are in a different place um, that needs people to do that. Um, and so what that looks like, just some examples to paint the picture. I gave some professions there, but another big space that we work in is actually um, by starting businesses, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, sometimes, I, I don't know, I had this mis- informed idea of business when I was younger of it's just like you're greedy and you're gonna make all the money and millionaires and Steve Jobs no Steve Jobs is great but you know you just think of these like extremes but God has actually given us the gift of work and business is actually such a powerful thing if you think to when you got your first job and you're like yes money in the bank I can go buy things I can do things I can and it empowers you to be able to live out the life that God has called you to and so what we get to do is doing that in, it can look like a cafe, a business, et cetera, et cetera, where you're actually employing people, whether they be people in these unreached people groups, so you get to rub shoulders with them 40 hours a week, or whether that's employing somebody who's a survivor of human trafficking and to reduce that cycle of 80% people being re-trafficked because they don't have employment. Um, so just solving a lot of these justice issues through business and giving people employment and the gift of a job. And so that's what we get to do. That's what you guys are a part of. That's what you guys get to, when you say PAOC, there's a lot of other pieces to that. Um, so that's what I wanted to just highlight. And my takeaways, um, I'll wrap this up here. Um, my takeaways, there's also, um, we're wanting, we're doing this internationally, but we're also doing this here in Canada. We have an online community called Business as Mission. And people who are doing, um, whether it's in their workplace or in their business or whatever they do, their most of their nine to five, are you doing this missionally? Um, and so if you are in business, business owner or um, entrepreneur in that kind of space and you're interested in this community and to meet other people that are passionate about using that for God's glory, 
come chat with me after. I'll like give you the website that you can check out. Um, but it's also businessesmission.ca if you're online because you can't come talk to me after. Um, and then the second thing I would recommend is these 7,300 people groups, um, they need people to go to them, but they need people praying for them, for people to go to them as well. Um, so what I would encourage you, you can come talk to me after and I can help you for maybe the less tech savvy. I got your back, don't worry. Um, come talk to me. Or if you go to RAN Networks, Restricted Access Nation, R-A-N, rannetworks.com slash prayer, you can actually sign up to get a text every day and it gives you the name of a people group and a little bit of information about them. Um, so we just want to equip you with that, that resource so you're able to come alongside us and pray as we continue to do the good work that God has in store for us. Um, it's not done, but we're working hard. So that would be the two ways that I encourage you to partner with us as we continue to go. There we go. That's my update. How'd I do? Five minutes? <laughs> Thank you, Carrie Ann. Awesome. Got it? Good, good. All right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks for pinch hitting for us up there, Kevin. Good job. Um, so last week, as we started our, uh, our series called Beauty for Ashes, we talked about the purpose of pain, the purpose of pain. Talked about how life can sometimes be very manure-y, keeping it PG this morning, it can be very manure-y be messy, it can be hard, it can be stuff in life that, that just stinks and we'd rather not deal with it. And we'd rather God just take it away, right? But uh, as we learned last week, God is working in our lives to give us beauty for ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise and glory instead of a spirit of despair. And he uses the manure tough stuff to grow us into oaks of righteousness. God uses everything for our good, right? Isn't that awesome? Um, he uses everything for our good. But how does that actually work? How does that work itself out in our lives? We're going to talk uh, really the next few weeks we're going to be talking about that. But this morning, uh, we want to talk about the transformation of trouble. The transformation of trouble. We're looking this morning in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have Bibles or Bible apps, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I love to see some of you actually doing that. We... Uh, you know what? We're, we're disciples. The Bible calls us disciples. What does that mean? It means we're students of Jesus, right? A student brings their tools to school, right? You don't show up without a pen and paper or a computer or something to take notes and, and you're, 
your textbooks. And so, so I want to encourage you, be a student. Bring, bring your Bible, bring, a, bring a, a, a device with an app in it, whatever it is. Lean in, learn, be a student, right? Right, amen. Okay, um, we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 3 in this passage, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. <clears throat> guess I should have been turning there while I was talking too, but there we go. All right, and we, so, so actually before we read it, let me give a, just a little bit of background, kind of catch us up to where we are at the end of chapter 3 here in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul has been talking in chapters 2 and, and 3 about um, how we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ as we carry His presence with us. Am I a little loud? Am I a little on the loud side? You guys okay? Everybody's good? All right. Um, we are the aroma of Christ as we carry His presence with us. And he's been talking about how what we carry as followers of Christ, what we carry in our lives of the presence of Jesus is better than what Moses carried. Wow. Wow. You know, the guy that, that spoke to God face-to-face -face as a man talks to a friend, right? The, the guy whom God gave the Ten Commandments on a tablet physically gave him the Ten Commandments. The guy who went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the emperor of the greatest empire on the earth at the time and by the miracles that God did, He brought that empire to its knees. The guy who waved a stick and a sea opened up and the people of Israel walked through on dry ground. That guy, right? That what you and I carry is greater than what he carried. Because Paul says, Moses wore a veil on his face Right? We have this idea, I did anyways, until I, until I clued into what, this, what Moses was saying here. I used to think when I read in the Old Testament that Moses put a veil on his face, it was because, you know, his future was so bright, everyone had to wear shades. Right? Like he was just glowing so much with the presence of God that they were like, oh no, cover your face so we're not blinded. But that's not what happened. Paul tells us here that that Moses put a veil on his face so that the people wouldn't see that the glory that was on his face, reflecting the glory of God, was fading. Moses would go near the presence of God and his face would get all glowy with the, with the glory of God. And he would leave the presence of God and it would slowly fade. Paul says, we have something that is not fading, but it is increasing. It is increasing. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all who with 
unveiled faces contemplate or, or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We have the glory of God in the person. We, we as, as humans, in the New Testament age, post the incarnation, after Jesus came, we have the glory of God in the person of Jesus. He lived among us. We know what God is like because we have seen Jesus, right? And when Jesus left planet earth physically, the Father poured out the Spirit of Jesus upon His church. We not only get to encounter the presence and glory of Jesus every time we gather, but we can actually access His glory wherever we are, whenever we call out to Him. If you didn't realize that, you need to grab hold of that truth this morning. That Jesus' glory doesn't just reside in a building or in a gathering. But as I prayed earlier, He promised He would never leave you. Never forsake you. His glory is with you. You can access His glory at any moment. Suzanne's getting excited. What about the rest of you? Wow. We may not always feel it. We may not always hear or see anything, but it's not about that. He is with us. And because He is with us, we are being transformed. We are being changed. The word in the Greek here is metamorphosis. It is literally the same word we use in the English language to describe this biological process that happens when a slimy, crawly, sluggy little centipede is transformed into the glorious thing that is a beautiful butterfly, right? It's an incredible process. I don't know if you know much about this process. You know, we may, we may watch the process and think, wow, that's, there's, that's just so beautiful. The, I wonder what kind of experience that would be for the 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 caterpillar right it just must be just must be wonderful to change into a butterfly we might look at the process in our life and go my process doesn't feel quite so enjoyable When a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, it begins the cocooning process by splitting its back open and shedding, slowly shedding and dissolving and eating its, its skin, 
and everything that was the caterpillar is, is digested by a goopy soup of proteins. Right? That miraculously, amazingly, the way that God engineered this transforms into a butterfly who then has to fight his way out of a straitjacket. Right? The process isn't, I mean, it's beautiful when we observe it, but it's not beautiful when you're in it. It's the same that's true for us. God looking at the process of transformation and metamorphosis in your life, He goes, oh, it's so beautiful. Look what I'm making. Look what she's becoming. Look what He's transforming into. And all the while, we're like, I'm digesting myself. You know, like I'm turning inside out. This is painful. This is hard, right? And so Paul says in this passage, as it speaks about this transforming process where we're going, we're becoming ever increasingly more reflective of the glory of God. We don't, we don't have our own glory. We reflect the glory of the glorious one. Right now, we're we're not great mirrors. We're not, we're not all that great sometimes at reflecting His glory, but as He transforms our lives, we become more reflective of the glory of God and we more beautifully image Him in the world, which is what we were made to do. Right? But Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since all this is true, since God is at work in our lives through the good stuff, the hard stuff, the messy stuff, and transforming us into something more glorious every day, every moment, every step of the way, therefore we do not lose heart. It's been a hard couple years. I get it. And I know that most of us, if not all of us, have been tempted at some point to lose heart, to give up. Been tempted to just stop making any effort, because what's the point? Many of us have been lonelier than ever, more frustrated with people than ever, frustrated with government systems and health care and supply chains. Friendships have been strained. Maybe you lost your job or your business. You've grieved loved ones. Maybe even couldn't say goodbye to them the way you wanted to. 
Grieve the loss of the way things were before. Grieve the loss of simplicity. Everything's more complicated now, isn't it? Do I shake his hand? Do I not shake his hand? Do I fist bump? Do I elbow, like, foot tap? What, what do I do? What do I do, right? I mean, two, two and a half years ago, you didn't even think about it. You just shook someone's hand. You gave them a hug. Everything's more complicated. When things are hard, we can be tempted to lose heart can be tempted to give up. But Paul is saying here, when we know that God is working out His glory in our lives, not just in spite of trouble, but He's using trouble to actually make us stronger, to actually change us and make us into something new. Using the stuff in our lives to level us up. Then we can not only not lose heart, but we can actually rejoice. Rejoice. This is what James means when he says in James 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, right? How many of you have that on your, on your fridge as your favorite verse? Right? Probably not. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus is making something of you and He's using everything and He's using the the garbage that happens to you, that comes at you, the stuff that the enemy wants to use to destroy you. God flips it over and uses it for your transformation. Right? Paul says here, because we have this transforming process of glory at work in our lives, we do not lose heart. In verse 2, I'm going to read verses 2 to 7. It says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's talking about his team and their ministry. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, it's the enemy, God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You get that? The light of the gospel, who is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel shows us who Jesus is, and Jesus shows us who the Father is. Right? 
It's beautiful. For what we are preaching is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, in other words, let there be light, right? The, the create, first creative words from God, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God, God planned this whole thing before creation, Scripture tells us, right? Planned this thing where Jesus would come as light into this world to display who God is. And those of us who have grabbed hold of the hope of Christ have that light within us. Have the revelation of God within us, right? We don't have time to do a deep dive in this, but it's powerful stuff. But then verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So those being transformed by the gospel are, com- are increasingly imaging Jesus, who is the perfect image of the Father. The gospel is the power that enables the glory of God to fill our lives. And Paul goes on in this chapter to unpack just how all that happens. The glory is not ours, as I said before. It's not my glory that I'm carrying that's, that should be really obvious to all of you, right? That, that I'm a weak vessel, that I'm a jar of clay, that I've got nothing in myself to offer you but Jesus. That if you're trusting in this, you're going to be let down, guaranteed. But the life of Jesus is on the inside of me. It's on the inside of you. And we get to carry His glory around in us, right? Wow. Verses 8 and 9. This is where I realize as I'm talking that I forgot to bring an illustration onto the platform with me that I meant to bring. So you get to hear me describe an illustration instead of watching me do it. Oops. Anyways, um, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. If I had remembered this morning, I would have two cans of Coke sitting here. One would be empty, one would be unopened, right? And I would pick up the empty one and I would show you how easy it is to crush a can, an open, empty can of Coke, right? 
And then I would invite a, 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 a volunteer, voluntold from the, from the audience to try to crush the unopened can of Coke. Try as hard as they want to squish it. Right? And, uh, and of course, they would not be able to. Because the reality is you would need... Uh, the, the, the calculations vary that I looked up. Anywhere between 1,000 to 2,000 pounds per square inch to crush an unopened can of Coke. And nobody here, just looking at you, <laughs> nobody here can do that, right? But why is that? Why is that? Because the pressure on the inside... The outward pressure on the inside is stronger, is greater, is, is more than the pressure being applied from the outside. It is uncrushable, right? And Paul writes here and he says, the pressure will come. Perplexing situations. We are perplexed, but not something. In despair, thank you. Um, right? The perplexing situations will come. The persecutions will come. The attacks will beat you down. But we are not destroyed. Why? Because the glory of the gospel, the power of God at work in your life is greater than the things that are pressing in on you today. Guaranteed. It may feel like you're going to be crushed. It may feel like you're going to be overwhelmed. It may feel like the end. But I guarantee you, God is at work on the inside of you and He has providing you with more than enough to walk through whatever it is. 1 John 4, verse 4 says it this way. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is greater, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Right? So how does that happen? How does that... How do we grow in that Glory of God that's being released in us. How do we level up? How, do we, how does that happen? It's the work. Oh. It's the work of the cross in our lives. It's the work of the cross in our lives. Verse 10. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. 
So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What does that mean? Jesus said in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Was this just nice poetry? Jesus was just saying, you know, in a poetic way, hang in there, (laughs) right? Can I repeat it? Sure, I can repeat it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. When Jesus is talking about taking up a cross daily, he's not talking about wearing a cross around your neck, right? not talking about jewelry. We know that, that the cross, when Jesus spoke these words, everyone who heard him knew what a cross was. It was an instrument of torturous death. It was an instrument that the, the Romans had used to perfect the process of torturing an individual to death. It wasn't poetry. It was ugly. It was horrific. And here's Jesus, a religious teacher, saying, you need to take up your cross daily. Taking up your cross meant you're the, you're the one being nailed to it and you're carrying it to the place of execution. Right? What was he saying? Gospel tells us that our salvation involves our death. Our salvation involves our death. That when we identify with Jesus Christ, we identify with His death. We die with Him. That's why, when we're, that's why we're baptized to symbolize that we, we die and are buried with Christ and we are raised to new life, right? But that death and resurrection Paul is telling us here is not a one-time deal. It's a daily reality. It's a daily reality. We die every day. We die to the world. We die to sin and its power over us. We die to our plans and our schemes and our agendas for our lives. We die to self-reliance. And the more we do, the more the resurrection life of Jesus is released in us. Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. means 
all of my self, self, and self-reliance and self, self-desire, self-whatever it is, needs to, needs to be shed, needs to be consumed like the, the skin of a caterpillar. needs to be shed. We need to die to all of that. And as we do, the life of Jesus fills us. And the things that crush us, the things that press on us, the things that, that come against us and, it, and they're hard and they're trouble and it feels like they're going to destroy us, they're doing the work of the cross in our lives. And we can fight it. But the longer we fight it, the longer the transformation process takes. But if we embrace the work of the cross in our lives, embrace what God is doing through the hard stuff in our lives, embrace the cross then let it do its work. Let it kill what needs to die in our hearts and in our lives so that Jesus' resurrection life can can begin to grow in us. Right? When that happens, we become a little more humble, a little more patient, and a little more kind, and a little more peaceful. We embrace the work of the cross. If we consider it pure joy, knowing that God is up to something good in my life, then the resurrection life of Jesus will be released in us and we will gain strength. We will gain authority. We will gain anointing for the next thing that we will face. And we will grow from glory to glory. Right? Verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. This whole process will be, will be finished on that day when you see Him face to face, right? On that day when you are literally resurrected, literally raised to new life, the work will be done and we will be transformed. So even if what's pressing in on you kills you, you still win, right? You can't lose. The game is fixed. You can't lose. No matter what presses against you today, you can't lose unless you quit. Unless you quit, right? And so Paul says in verse 16, therefore... He says it again. He, he, he cycles back to this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Sound familiar from verse 1, right? 
he introduced the idea by saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. And then he unpacks it, and now he comes back to it, and he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, right? Outwardly, sorry to tell you, you're getting older. Today, you're one, minute, one, one day closer to leaving this world than you were yesterday, right? It's the reality. Outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So outwardly, we might, it might look, when we look in the mirror, it might look like we're losing the battle, Paul is saying, right? Another, another gray hair, another crease under the eyes or whatever it is, you know, we're might look like we're losing the battle, but inwardly something else is happening. We're being renewed by the resurrection life of Jesus that's working itself out in us, right? Being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Is that how you describe your troubles this morning? Light and momentary, right? Paul, have you read his list of troubles later in, in 2 Corinthians? You know, I was, I was shipwrecked and I was beaten this many times with a rod and I was whipped this many times and all this stuff happened, right? I was starving, I was naked, I was cold, I was... Paul gets to say this, right? You, know, you might look at me and, you know, me saying, oh, your, your troubles are light and momentary and throw something at me, right? Paul gets to say this because he went through hell on earth. And yet in the light of eternity, Paul said, all of it is light and momentary. I'm going to get through it. It's going to pass away, right? Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. They're, they're actually doing something in us. These troubles, they're achieving for us. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't focus on the same things that the people around us focus on. We don't measure success the same way that our neighbors measure success. The smoothness of our skin, the, uh, the accumulation of property, the money we've got stashed away, trouble-free existence. These things may have the appearance of blessing and reward, but they are fading away and they're all temporary. And ask the worship team to make their way up here as I'm talking. We focus instead, Paul says, on the unseen. How do you focus on what you can't see? <laughs> right? How do we focus on something that's unseen? 
It means learning that when we hit another speed bump in life, we experience another challenge, another tragedy, we walk into another trial, that rather than look at it and see just what's happening, we look and see who's in charge. Right? We look at who has the final word. We look at a God who loves us, is for us, and is always doing good in us, and is transforming us from glory to glory. We remind ourselves, instead of asking, why me? We say, Father, what are you up to now? What good thing are you working in my life now? How are you transforming me? How are you equipping me? How are you making me new with the resurrection life of Jesus today? Because I know you are. Right? And we choose to trust God. Because he is good. Let's stand. I want to challenge you this morning. As students of Jesus, to determine to learn to recognize when God is at work by recognizing the things that are coming at you, the things that are pressing in on you as not just God, the enemies, the, the, the devil's at it today, God, just take them away, right? But recognize that God is actually, He's not doing those things to you, but He has a plan to use them to release the glory of God inside of you. And if we can become students of that, if we can learn to recognize and more quickly, you know, some, some of us have been at this a while and, you know, maybe, maybe after a week or so, we're like, oh yeah, I've been moaning for a week, but, but oh yeah, God loves me and I can trust him, right? As we learn, as we grow in this, maybe a week goes to four days, Right? Maybe if you're just a couple days sooner picking up on it, then you've grown, you've learned. Maybe we can get to just 24 hours. Maybe three hours. Maybe we can get to the place where we can almost simultaneously say, God, I trust you. trust you. I don't understand it. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. But I trust you. 
I embrace the work of the cross in my life and I invite you to transform me. Because you've given me wings. I'm going to be something else. So Father, I thank you for your love for us, your persistent, faithful love to work out the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives daily. I pray for each one of us, God, that we would grow in this area, that we would learn to trust you and that we would, we would learn to walk with you to embrace the process of transformation of metamorphosis in our lives and that we would regularly level up because we are trusting you to grow us and change us. Some of us, even today, are carrying some pretty hard stuff. We may even need a brother or sister or some people around us to pray with us, to encourage us, to help us. Because sometimes we, we can't even do this on our own. We need our brothers and sisters. So God, I pray that, that today we would trust these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our ministry team is coming at this time. If, you, if, if you've got something you want prayer for this morning, our team knows in, in their knower, they believe with all their heart that God is a worker of miracles. He is able to do 